Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden this time, but it's not Sweden that we're talking about. I got a guest that's coming on from the U.S. I'm super excited to bring him and share uh, his story with the with our audience for Back to Jerusalem. I, I heard about him from somebody that you guys might remember if you've been listening to our podcast for a while. Uh Anne is a very special friend of ours, and she runs a, a, a special podcast targeting Muslims. And she wrote to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, you have to talk to this guy and bring him onto your podcast. He's doing amazing things. I think that you're going to love him. So I, I went through his material just a little bit online. He's got a YouTube channel that I hope we can share together with you. And uh, I'm going to ask him just to share a little bit of his story. Uh, are you there, brother? Yes, sir. I'm here. Yeah. Uh, do you go by Alex, or what? What name do you usually go by? Hey, so uh, you can call me uh, Amin. Uh, Amin. The, okay. The podcast that I run is called um, the Amen Podcast. So um, a lot of people just call me like Amen or uh, Amin. Uh, Amin is just Arabic. Amen. Okay. <laughs> it's the same thing. I I was on your website. I think that your website is the Amen Podcast. Is that your Is that your website? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I saw you, you got a great picture of you and your family. And, um, and I listened to one of the podcasts that you had, uh, called the, called the, uh, Don, well, it started off with this subject called Don Muhammad, which I loved kind of relating him a little bit. Like when I heard Don, I was thinking of Sopranos, Jersey mobsters. (laughs) So I, I loved it. Actually, you know what, if you're talking about, cause it's funny, there's two amen podcasts. So there's the amen podcast. Um, and that's another guy, but then there's the amen exclamation mark podcast. And then that's me. But I think if you're talking about Don Muhammad, uh, that definitely is my YouTube channel. But I think the other guy, I think his name might be Alex. Um, and I didn't know that that was like, that that name was already taken until after like, <laughs> oh, I thought that there's no way that I, so I looked up the amen podcast. Um, so I, right after my friend told me that, okay, so that website is not related to your, uh, YouTube channel. Cause I, I definitely saw your, your YouTube channel, uh, the amen exclamation mark podcast. That's, that's your channel, right? right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> that's not your family. I saw. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, funny. you must have been like spending the first couple of minutes, like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> no, it's fine because you said uh, Don Muhammad. So I did make a podcast recently uh, about the war crimes of Muhammad. Um, so maybe if you saw that one, I did. I did see that one. Channel. That was good. Good job. Okay, good, good on you. I mean, that was really good. That um, that you you pulled out a lot of a lot of big things that 
people just don't recognize in modern day society. Um, they, they, they are largely ignorant of the true history of Muhammad. But before we jump any deeper, would you mind just giving our audience a, an introduction of who you are? Sure, no problem. Uh, so currently right now I'm, I'm 29. Um, at the age of 18 uh, is when I truly gave my life to Christ. So uh, I've been... Uh, it's, it's, it's a little strange. I'll, I'll try to think this story as succinct as possible. I'm just kind of hear one of the keynotes. Before 18, um, I grew up in a church. Um, you know, most people, they, they go to church because their parents go to church. Um, they're Christian by name um, or by culture. They think Christianity um, is something aesthetic um, as opposed to something that's actual, uh, that has to be actually born within your heart. Um, at the age of 18, just some craziness started happening to me, and um, I began to question and wonder, you know, is this Christianity thing real? Is God real? Um, I briefly flirted with, like, atheism, um, and at this point is when I started doing my research on just a lot of the world's religions, um, did, you know, like my intro to uh, Islam, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, but being that there's something different about Christianity that wasn't the same about any of the other religions. Um, so believe it or not, one day, like I was at a train station and a guy gave me like those little small Gideon Bibles. And, um, I had a Bible of my own, of course, but, um, at this point I was traveling a lot because of, um, a job that I had right out of high school. So what I ended up doing was, um, I sat down and literally for about a year, um, I was reading the Bible 16, 17, 18 hours a day. Um, I broke up with my girlfriend at the time, um, and I was just sitting there reading it, like cut off all social media, cut off all my friends. And for about a year, a year and a half, I just like kind of just burned through the whole Bible. Um, and it was at that point that I really started to um, have faith in God. Um, and then fast forward a little bit, maybe when I was about 23, 24, 25, uh, it's when I really started getting deeper into Islam. Um, I had kind of, uh, been like, like the area that I went to school in was like 90% Muslim. Um, so a lot of my friends were Muslim and I had been introduced to the customs um, but I never really, you know, I, I never, I never really flooded around too much with Islam outside of just what I researched just because I wanted to know. But it was, um, I had a friend, she gave me, um, a Quran, um, and this is maybe a little bit after 25. And, um, she said, she started telling me things like Jesus was never crucified and, uh, Jesus was just a prophet and, you know, like the, like, like the Bible was corrupt and things like that. The, the standard Muslim uh, narrative and some of the stuff I had never really it, it never was serious to me until I started to see how serious she took it and a lot of my other Muslim friends took it so I said okay let me let me you know do some research and I read the Quran like probably in less than six months um, I couldn't put the book down and it, and it wasn't because it was so good but it's just because of how crazy it was how blasphemous this book was and I began to ask myself, I said, man, like, I, I can't believe that people really believe this. Um, and it wasn't just because, like, the things that the Quran says, like, oh, Jesus was a crucified, you know, start four, verse one. 
uh, 57 and things like that. What happened was um, I began to read it and I began to see like people actually build a strong faith off of this and they don't know at all what the Bible says about it. But, you know, suppose that, you know, you know, I, I mean, I didn't want to use circular reasoning. I knew that we actually had historical evidence for the crucifixion of Christ, um, for the um, for for the fact that our scriptures weren't corrupt, um, like things like this. So it's like to see that there was such a large group of people that had fallen into the deception of Muhammad. Um, it, it really bothered me, and um, I just made it my my ministry. Uh, because of the information that I had to um, try to shed some light on uh, Islam. What I find fascinating about that is I, I kind of had a similar journey where I asked myself at a very young age, my background is in the military. So while in the military, I, you know, traveling, uh, doing a lot of work in the Middle East, um, uh, in the Persian Gulf, Africa, um, running operations, I began to ask myself, you know, am I a Christian because I grew up in a Christian society? If I was born in India, would I not be Hindu? If I was born in Saudi Arabia, would I not be Muslim? If, if I was born in China, would I not be atheist? Like, why am I a Christian? Is it just because of this, what I was culturally exposed to? So I took, I also took the journey of, you know, uh, going to the mosque, going to the synagogue, going to temples, learning from imams, learning from rabbis, um, studying the, the, their scriptures, reading the book of Buddha, uh, studying Hinduism. And um, one of the things that I found for me personally about the Quran is that even if I was not religious, I found parts of the Quran difficult to follow. And, and it wasn't because um, I, I, I was not able, because there were times where I, I would read something, I was like, what did I just read? Maybe I was daydreaming when I read it. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. I'm going to reread it. And I read it, read it again. And, and I would realize that, wait a minute, this is not coherent. This is not a coherent sentence. Um, it's like jumping around and skipping around because it's not in chronological order. Uh, there's also a lot of repetition. So there were times I'd get to the Quran and I'd be like, wait a minute, I already read this. Did I not put my bookmark in the right place? Oh, no, this is an exact an exact repetition of something that already came. And so I, I kind of came, you know, in studying Islam, I, I found a couple of those same or similar things that you were talking about. You looked at circular reasoning. Um, you looked at some of the things that you found crazy. There were things that I found, you know, crazy as well and contradictory. Like at one point I'm reading about killing the infidel. The other part I'm reading about peace. I had to, I had to come to terms with that. Like, why is there these differences? Uh, so as, as you're going through and you're, you're making this journey, um, what made you start doing the research on Muhammad? Because you did this, you did this, um, this YouTube video that I watched and I and I thoroughly enjoyed, where you were sharing basically it, Muhammad and you called him the worst of mankind. What what made you say that the worst of mankind as as a tag for Muhammad? Something that you, by right. the way, I mean, it's pretty dangerous to say in in certain parts of the world that yeah. can get you killed. Yeah. So here's the the, the issue with Islam. And just because of like where I was raised and kind of how I was raised, I was never, whenever an opportunity presents itself for me to be afraid, um, it, it kind of, I kind of go into like this gear in my mind to where it's like, okay, I'm not going to be afraid because I understand what fear does. Fear has a 
has a property that paralyzes you. Um, and not to mention, mention that our scripture says, uh, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when I wrote the title, The Worst of Muhammad, it wasn't for shock value or like to be clickbaity. It was for one, just because it was the absolute truth. But if you were to grow up Muslim, you would hear this phrase a lot um, that Muhammad is the best of mankind. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to challenge the narrative um, to Muslims, but then I also wanted to challenge just the whole narrative of the fear thing, because like you said, and as like you said, you studied abroad, like you've been around, you know that in a lot of these Middle Eastern countries, the debt for apostasy, uh, I mean, the, the, the penalty for um, apostasy uh, is, is death. Um, that's in the Hadith. There's even things like, um, you know, uh, I believe it's Sunan Abu Dawood, which is a Hadith um, 71. It's either Sunan Abu Dawood or um, Sunan Ibn Majah 71 that says, you know, Muhammad have, has been instructed um, to go and, 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 and make sure and, and command that everyone says, La ilaha illallah, that there's no God but, um, that, uh, but uh, Allah, right? Um, so it's like, you know, you have this repeated narrative in Islam of fear, and I wanted to get past that, but I also wanted to educate because when you do about 10, 15 minutes of research on Muhammad, you, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, it's almost like you're looking at a completely different person from who they represent as opposed to who he really is. Um, so that's kind of like the short answer uh, to, to what you asked. Yeah, I, I mean, because a, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, okay, so I had a book come out this year. Um, it's called Shackled. It's by, it's about one of my heroes. I, 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 I've known her for a, a little bit of time, for a couple of years, wrote her story. Her name's Miriam Ibrahim, born and raised in Sudan, um, became a Christian. And when the government found out that she was a Christian, it they forced her to come to court and she, she had to um, uh, renounce Christianity and accept Muhammad and, or accept Islam. So she, they wanted her to say the Shahada, uh, that there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Like she has to say those words or if she does not, she will be lashed a hundred times for apostasy and, and death by hanging. And uh, so she refused. So they put her in jail to give her some time to, to think about it put her in jail, shackled her together with her one-year-old son, who wasn't even a year old, he was an infant, and she was pregnant. Um, and um, and basically, when she refused, after her time that they allowed her to decide, uh, they sentenced her to death. So she was sentenced to death for not saying the Shahada, uh, which I find fascinating because there are so many people that say Islam is a religion of peace, but every single Muslim nation that I've been to, and I've, I've been to, I think, all of them, or over 90% of them, um, it is illegal to convert. Um, it is illegal to proselyze, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to, to open up your churches to Muslims um, and, and, and to actively try to convert them. And so there is this, this element of almost like being in the Jersey mob, which is why I felt that it was interesting that you called him Don Muhammad, because it was like, you're a part of this, this family, this group, and the only way out is death. That is not the narrative that we are receiving 
uh, on a regular basis, whether it's the United Nations, whether it's here in the EU and the European Union, whether it's where you're at with the mainstream media, with American news, um, there is this strong narrative that people push that this is a religion of peace. Tell me what you found on the life of Muhammad that would that would contradict that. Or maybe you found that the life of Muhammad was, was I mean, I've already watched the video, so I, you know, spoiler alert, but... Um, uh, you f did research on the life of Muhammad. Can you tell us a few things about the life of Muhammad that you found that were disturbing and you think that people need to know about? Yeah. Um, there, there's one thing that you said that I, I wanted to touch on really quick before I get into that as well. Um, you mentioned the Shahada um, and that, you know, if she, I, I'm pretty sure, I believe, they give you three days. And if you don't, um, convert within those three days, um, then they kill you. Now, what's interesting about the Shahada is that, so, you know, like in, in Islam, um, they have this thing called shirk. And, and this actually will, will tie in um, to one of the strangest things that I've, I've learned about Muhammad or the most, you know, dangerous things I've learned about Muhammad, um, your question. But they, they, there's something in Islam called shirk, which is associating partners with Allah. Um, if you go to Surah 9, I believe it's verse 30, um, you get a little glimpse of uh, one of the reasons why Muslims or why Muhammad himself hated uh, Christians and Jews because they believe that, um, you know, we associate partners with God. You know, in the Quran, it says, you know, um, Christians, uh, we call Jesus the son of God, which is true. But then it says something strange about Jews. It says that the Jews call Ezra the son of God, which Jews do not do. Um, but that, that's another person. Situation, but um, but for that reason, it's called shirk. But what's interesting is that in Islam, in order to become a Muslim, you commit shirk. So, like as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God. So, in order to become Christians, in order to uh, become part of the family of God, in order for God to become your, your father, you you'd say, okay, I, I believe in Jesus. You know, He's my Lord and my Savior. Um, according to Romans ten verse nine, I believe. You confess with your, your, your mouth, you believe with your heart, and at that moment you're saved. Now, interestingly enough, in order to become a Muslim, you have to say the Shahada, which is, um, Ashadu illaha illallah, wa Ashadu and Muhammadin wa Allah, which is, you know, um, I believe, um, I bear witness that there is no God but God, and that Muhammad is his messenger. Now, what's so interesting about this phrase is that if you were to ask a Muslim, can I believe in, I mean, um, is it possible for me to not believe in Muhammad and become a Muslim? They'll say no. And then what's interesting on top of that is you have to say this phrase. So the reason why I say they commit shirk is because they're associating the name of Muhammad with God. For us, when we associate the name of Christ, the Son, with the Father, it's not a problem for us because we believe Jesus is God. The Word of God made flesh. It's not an issue. But for Muslims, you're associating the name of a man with the name of God. That within itself is shit. So before you even get into the tenets of being a Muslim, you already commit shit. And they don't tell people this or they don't frame it this way. But if you ask a Muslim, hey, can I associate the, the name of um, uh, Jesus with Allah? Can I associate the name of Moses with Allah? Can I associate um, the uh, name of um, Ibra, um, of, um, of, of, of any of the other prophets with Allah? They'll say no. And it's not in the Shahada. So this leads into kind of your, your question. 
this fundamentally is a cult. And I don't say that lightly. Um, and, you know, some people may say it's rude, especially here in the West, where we're taught to be very nice and gentle to everyone. But our Lord and Savior Jesus called the Pharisees sons of Satan. You know, um, he flipped over tables in the money um, in the um, temple, and he was he called people uh, broads of vipers. This is not something new to Christianity. We're taught to be as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. So when I call this religion a cult, I mean it. When I was researching the life of Muhammad, this is it, it functions fundamentally like the mafia. There was a woman um, in Surat Rasulullah. This is the life of Muhammad. She was, um, I believe, like in, in a lot of the stories um, are just about people saying bad things about Muhammad. They didn't like him. They would not associate him with God. Um, that's why I said what I said earlier. Because they would not associate him with God or because they did not um, like his methods or because they just didn't believe he was a prophet, Muhammad had them killed. There is a woman who, um, I believe she said some bad things about Muhammad or... Um, uh, in this particular situation, um, Muhammad sent some of his gang, um, his ravenous wolves, to a town to raid it. Um, some of his people were harmed and raped. He sent some people back, and there was a woman there. Um, and I believe uh, she, uh, from what I remember, they captured her for some reason or another. And they tied ropes around her legs. And they put the two ropes to, to the end of two other camels, and they made the camels run in opposite directions, and it ripped this poor woman apart. Um, they ended up taking uh, her daughter. There's another story where um, a woman, uh, I believe her name was, oh, what was her name? Um, Marwan, um, I believe her name was Marwan. And she didn't like, um, some of the things about Muhammad, she was criticizing him. What they used to do, the Arabs used to write poetry in the pre-Islamic eras um, about people and just about things. They're a very poetic culture. She wrote some verses about Muhammad that they didn't like, and Muhammad sent his gang to kill her. Um, there's another guy, I believe, she was writing about... Um, the verses were written because another one of her people got killed, like her family members or a part of her tribe... This guy's name was Abu Afik. This guy was very old. Abu Afik didn't like Muhammad. So he ended up, that guy ended up getting assassinated too. You, you, you just see this circle of repetition around this guy, Muhammad, because people would not say Shahada and, and, and associate this guy with, with God, or because they didn't think he was um, a prophet, or just because they just didn't like the guy. If you spoke against Muhammad, you were killed just like how the mafia works. And even now to this day, like you said, you travel to a lot of these um, Islamic countries. If you say anything about Muhammad, you are killed. So it's just, you, you see this reign of terror for 1400 years and in the West, in the UK, um, and in many other countries, they still use this form of fear in one way or another to get people under control and to pay respect to this man, Muhammad. And um, I'm just, I'm teaching people, no, you, you need to do your research and you need to know that this guy was no more than just a man. He was a deranged, insane man. Um, and he doesn't reserve any kind of respect whatsoever. You can respect Muslims, 
but um, just because they're made in the image of God, they're human beings, but I will never respect Muhammad, nor will I respect Islam. I gave you a very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's great. I think you said something that I have not really heard dissected before, which is the idea of the association of Muhammad together with Allah, that the two of them are inseparable, and yet Muhammad is considered a prophet, a prophet in the same way that Jesus is considered a prophet, that Abraham is considered a prophet. We have these prophets in the Quran that are mentioned, um, and yet they are not associated with the name of Allah like Muhammad is. I think that that's a really important point that when you say the Shahada, it is essential. It's an essential element that you just don't say that you believe that Allah is God. But in the Shahada, the confession of faith, you must say that Muhammad is the prophet. And you don't have that about anybody else. You don't have to say Abraham's the prophet. You don't have to say that Jesus is the prophet. You don't have to name any of the other prophets that are mentioned in the Quran that are basically plagiarism on the on the Torah and the uh, and the Bible. So I mean, it's it's that is a, a really interesting uh, challenge with the logic um, that that I haven't heard before. So that was really good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it, it was also uh, really revealing to you know just share some of the some of the things that Muhammad has done that are considered to be war crimes um, that most people don't realize because they will quote the peaceful sections of the Quran. So when people point to surahs in the Quran. What do you say when they're when they're sharing things about uh, that that Muhammad said that promoted peace? Right. So normally, what they'll do is um, they'll recite um, recite chapters of the Quran, like um, Al which is um, like um, my religion is my religion, your religion is your religion, you know, or they'll or they'll recite the verse of "There's no compulsion in religion." The problem with that is within Islam, they have, um, it's, it's a doctrine um, called abrogation. And within the doctrine of abrogation is whatever Muhammad said um, uh, last in his life uh, supersedes the things that he said before. Um, in the beginning of his life, he was a very uh, kind of peaceful person. He had very, uh, like a very small amount of followers, and they were somewhat peaceful. Um it wasn't until um, he started traveling that he became uh, a little more uh, aggressive. And then towards the end of his life, he became just a full-on uh, warlord, a full-on uh, war criminal. And that's when he started saying things like Surah 9, verse 29, you know, fight the unbelievers wherever it is that you find them. And these verses, um, they supersede the peaceful chapters from the beginning now, you, you said something earlier on in the podcast where you said, and, and you noticed this, which is great, that the Qur'an is almost, it's, it's almost assembled like Ikea furniture, if you will. Like, it's kind of like, it's not, it doesn't just come the way that it came. Um, when the Qur'an was first being constructed, um, it was being constructed at the order um, of Abu Bakr. He had one of Muhammad's scribes uh, go and collect it, which is Zayd bin Thabit, and he brought them to him, and then they ended up constructing the Qur'an. That's why, because um, you, you said when you read the Qur'an, it, but sometimes it doesn't make any sense, or there are pieces that kind of just, they don't seem like they fit in this book. Um, you know, Surah 1, Al-Fatiha, was not the first Surah that was revealed. It actually was Surah 96, verses 1 through 3, I believe. And this is when uh, Jibril came to Muhammad, and he said, um, Ikra, uh, which is read, you know, in the name of your Lord. 
Um, now, somehow, this chapter ended up in, in Surah 96, um, as opposed to Surah 1. Um, why they did it this way, um, there's a couple of reasons. They say that they want it, you know, in terms of reciting, they want the smallest chapters to be in the back. Um, because, you know, in the Middle East, um, Arabic is a uh, Semitic language, I believe. So it's, you read from right to left instead of left to right. So you have the smallest chapters in the back, what would be our back, the front, and you have the longest chapters, uh, which is in the front. Um, but as far as it just being composed in a way from chronological order, you don't have that. Um, the last verse to be revealed is... Um, uh, it's in Sarah 5 where it says, today we have completed your religion. So, you know, and, and I always tell people this, it's like when you're dealing with the Quran and you tell Muslims this, it's like they say, no, like, I don't believe this. But it, it, it really is akin to, you know, if you have children, when you send your kids into the dressing room, it's like you have, um, you, you give them an outfit to put on and they end up putting the outfit on backwards. That's essentially what it is, that's what happened with the early Muslims or just with Muhammad in general. The revelation, it was not in any kind of order. It was put on wrong, if you will. So when you tell this to Muslims, if they almost get like this, this shock on their face and you have to show them um, hadith and you have to show them from their own sources that this is actually what it was. Um, so, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's so powerful. I, I don't think a lot of Muslims or and non-Muslims especially know anything about this law of abrogation. So because of that, when they hear about the peaceful, you know, teachings, they just assume, well, that's very much like the Bible. This is this is a very similar rela religion. Um, both religions teach peace. Both religions teach love. Both t uh, religions teach tolerance which is so not the case. The other thing is that you had talked about, you know, uh, when Muhammad was in Mecca, how he was peaceful. Uh, well, we don't really know, in my opinion. This is my opinion. I don't really know if Muhammad was peaceful when he was in Mecca. I know that he wasn't powerful enough to not be peaceful. Like, he couldn't go around right. threatening to kill people in a place where he was the minority. So once he became, uh, went to Medina, raised up this, this, uh, this group that was able to raid caravans and became more powerful, then we see a shift where now he no longer needs to worry about being annihilated by others because he is a force in himself to be reckoned with. He, he gives his sword a name. He is quite the warrior. Um, he, there, there's so many things about him later on that show, well, he, he doesn't have to be peaceful because he has an army behind him. And I really think that the best way to truly gauge whether somebody is peaceful enough is not when they don't have the power, but when they do have the power. When they have the power to attack others, do they then acknowledge peace or want peace or desire peace? Um, with what you've been saying, you said that you grew up in an area with about 90% Muslims. Um, have, you, have, have you been uh, involved in conversations uh, with Muslims and, and walked with them along conversions? Uh, what has been your interaction? What has been your experience with Muslims that hear this information for the first time? Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, so it, it kind of depends a little bit on a number of things. You know, there's just basic psychology um, that goes into just speaking with anybody about anything. You know, as Christians, um, you know, like when we first hear the gospel, you know, if we weren't raised in it, 
um, there's a you know there's a fight that you normally uh, come across whether you came from an atheist background or a Hindu or Muslim background. There's always just some level of psychology that goes behind um, hearing the gospel for the first time. Now it is completely different in person than it would be online. Like I'm pretty sure there will be Muslims that will hear this podcast and it will affect them a lot differently um, than it would be if they were just, you know, on a train somewhere and the Holy Spirit came up to you and told you to minister the gospel to them, right? So what I mean by psychology here is that when somebody is confronted with something that they believe with all their heart to be true, and now they have actual reason to not believe it, like not just like, oh, you know, some guy said something. No, like you're actually showing them from their sources. Um, you know their religion just about as good or better than they do. Um, and you're showing them from their own books why what they believe is wrong. You, you can kind of see on their face this fight or flight type of mentality. Now, I'm under the impression that Islam, there is a spirit of depression, like not, not depression, of deception um, behind um, Islam because our scripture says that Satan is the father of lies. Um, when you read the Quran, you have this Allah figure just being just the best of deceivers. You know, like we can go to Surah 3, verse 54, but I mean, I'm just, I, I'm take a more holistic approach to it because Muslims always try to deny things. But if you just look at the character of Allah and then you look at the character of Satan, it's almost the exact same thing within Islam. Now, I won't go too deep into that I just so I can kind of get back to your, your question, but when you're showing the Muslims this, and you're explaining to them why Islam is wrong from their own sources, either they, like I said, they go out of flight, they either begin to attack you, like mentally, like verbally, or even physically, or they go into like denial to where it's like they, they just continue to deny what you say. Like right now, um, I have a, a very dear friend of mine, um, she she was the one who gave me the Quran. Um, and from the moment that I was able to understand like what this religion was, I mean, I, I she gave me the Quran, I gave her a Bible, and I said, Hey, if you read this, I promise I'll read the Quran. And, you know, I, I always try to do what I say I was gonna do. So I I actually did read it all the way through. But with her, I noticed she didn't read it. Now she said oh, I didn't have any time. But I think that when you begin to read the Bible and when the gospel is preached to you, the spirit of Christ, because we serve a living God, the word of God is so alive that it pierces your heart. And, and this is what the scripture says, you know, that the word of God is, is piercing to be defined as thunder. So like it, it, it captivates you in a way that you cannot deny it. So either you have to stop reading the Bible or you just have to reject it altogether and when you talk to Muslims in person, this is what you get. Either they allow the Holy Spirit to do the work, it takes years sometimes, or they just fundamentally reject it and pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, and when you talk with them in person, that's exactly the two 
sides of the coin that you get. That's like the most basic form of psychology that you get when a Muslim encounters someone who actually knows what they're talking about. I love that because that allows what what you're talking about is a is a mutual exchange. Um, you know, she gave you a Quran, you gave her a Bible. You didn't fear reading the Quran. You weren't scared of reading the Quran. There is a real fear among the Muslim community of the Bible. A re- I know because uh, we do a lot of Bible printing in Iran. We do a lot of Bible printing uh, in uh, Iraq. We do Bible printing in different Muslim countries. Right now we're getting Bibles into Somalia and Sudan. These are, these are regions that have a real fear of the Bible. Not just, not just we don't want our people reading it um, under the age of 18. It's that we don't want that book in, within the borders of our country. There is this fear element that you equated directly with Satan, which I think is uh, really apt because it really is the spirit of fear to keep people from becoming more knowledgeable. And yet we as believers, whenever you are in a Christian-based society, right now I'm doing this podcast, you're in America, I'm in, I'm in Sweden. Um, there, if you want to sell Qurans or pass out Qurans or preach about Islam in a Christian setting, most Christians, of, of course, there's always exceptions, you know, to what we would consider to be Christian or whatever, but there's not that same fear. There's this open, I mean, if God, the God that we serve didn't force you to believe in him, who are we? In this search for truth, I really believe that Christians, if we seek for truth, we will find truth, capital T, if we are honest in our search. Um, and uh, that I think that's one of the things that we don't fear as much to... And nor should we, to explore, to read the Quran, to study the Quran, um, to, to listen to the teachings and even the complaints and, and challenges of the Islamic community as it pertains to the Word of God. So I, I really applaud you for, for having that exchange with Muslims to, to read the Quran, to study it, to study it thoroughly, to know the surahs um, as well as you do, to, to know the hadiths of which there's endless number of them. Like the, the, <laughs> I mean, right now I'm writing about the, the teachings of, of the um, Ayatollah Khamenei. Uh, he wrote a series of five books that are known as the Little Green Handbooks. And I mean, as is most things in Islam, they, they dictate every part of your life. Like, you know, what hand to wipe with and what to do after you eat a certain food. And like every little thing is so precisely dictated that you are to do. So, and that is kind of up there in the rankings of, you know, the, the, the high teachings to go along as a handbook with the Quran. So I think it's so good that you are, you're reading this. If people are listening to this podcast right now and they're wondering like, how can they get more information? How can they get more of your teaching? Where would you point them to? Sure. Um, so if you go to my YouTube channel, um, it's just the Amen Podcast. Uh, there's an exclamation mark after um, Amen. Um, so that's normally where I do the bulk of my my ministry. I was doing it on TikTok more so. Um, that's kind of like where I got my start. Um, but it slowly has turned into Sharia talk. So I can't even (laughs) function properly on TikTok anymore. So if people want to find out more about me, uh, you can find me mainly on YouTube. 
Okay, so the Amen podcast, that's the Amen with a with an exclamation mark. Um, I went to, I was looking it up online. I Googled it. I found, uh, it was called like the amenpodcast.com or something like that. And I thought that the two were associated. I can tell you as a listener, they are not. Um, the Amen exclamation mark podcast, that's the YouTube channel. I went there. I thoroughly loved it. Brother, it was great having you on here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks you so much for enlightening us. And I hope to have you back on sometime. Fantastic. No problem. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. God bless. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you. <laughs>